You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bible this evening, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Isn't that awesome to hear what God's doing through medical mission outreach? Um, I mean, we're talking, I I think if my math is right, close to 1,000 folks have received Christ as Savior uh, just in these last couple of months. I have some meetings in Atlanta in a couple of weeks. I'll be able to tour their facility, MMO's uh, facility there in Atlanta. So I'll try to take a few pictures, maybe show those to you when I get back. But excited to see what God's doing uh, through their ministry. Galatians chapter 4, let's look, if you will, at verse 1 down through verse 11 tonight. And uh, just wanted to um, say thank you again to Brother Stoffer and to Brother Heath and to all of their work uh, for today. And uh, had a lot of good conversations. Um, I think some of them would have stayed as long as we wanted to stay after we were done. And uh, just had some really neat conversations and can sense God's working. And even just uh, the new gentleman, uh, Eric, uh, that's, a, I think, going to be a long-term partnership, don't you think, Brother Kurt, Lord willing? And the fire department has been our prayer the last several years that we could start building some bridges there. And I had a couple of uh, retired firemen that said, hey, there's no reason Worcester City shouldn't be here today. And I think there might be some conversations that come out of that. Uh, but just uh, just seeing how God's opening those doors, grateful for what he did in our midst this morning. Galatians chapter 4, let's pick up, if you will, our study as we're looking at Plus Nothing, a study on the gospel, uh, grace uh, that we see described in Galatians. And let's pick up in verse 1. Paul says, Now I say that the the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And then some of my favorite verses of the entire book of Galatians. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. And then verse 11, Paul says, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain." So tonight I want to look at this part of God's grace, grace phased, and talk about the phases of grace and how we can relate to them in a way that pleases the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts and minds. Thank you for these that are back tonight. Uh, Lord, students of your word that want to grow, Lord, not just in practical things intrinsically, but theological things that have practical implications, yes, but to, to go deeper and to feed upon the meat of your word. Thank you for this book and that, Lord, the, um, just how thorough you are through your inspired process through the Apostle Paul, one who knew Judaism better than anyone. And, Lord, uh, pointing us uh, from the law as the end and instead looking to your grace and your gospel. 
And I pray, Father, tonight you would lay the next line in our thinking that we could build upon the foundation of which we've already studied and prepare for what is to come in this book. We thank you for your goodness. Bless this study, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed at night uh, when you're out in front of our building, the parking lot's a little better lit than it was, which isn't saying much uh, with the way our building started. But a few, probably about a month or so ago, Brother Hackworth, who is with us, and it was helping me kind of with some of the understanding of electrical, electrical things and how to put in some extra security lights. And so you may have heard about Pastor Dave and I with a hammer drill and several blows to the head that we suffered in that process, being on a ladder trying to put holes through block, brick and block and brick, and it was just several layers. Um, but this side of the building, uh, from here to I think uh, the central lobby, is on what's called three-phase. Um, and I don't completely understand what that is. I just know it has a little extra oomph to it. Uh, if you cut into it, uh, I don't know if I've shared this story before, but uh, my dad and I, this was probably right at the height of COVID, we would have redone this stage. And if you can remember, those of you that were with us before we did it, behind where this column is, we, this one was already here. We kind of just matched it. There was an exit door out kind of to the back side of the building, and there was a fire, uh, a pole station there that had been phased out. Um, but the power was still there, and my dad and I found that out. He was trying to move uh, just one box that was left, and it still had power, and he just kind of got uh, jolted off of the ladder in a very demonstrative way. And, of course, first I laughed, then I was concerned, you know, that whole dynamic. Thanks, Dad, for giving your life for our church, okay, uh, so we could have a nice stage. Um, but from what I understand of three-phase, it's more efficient than... Uh, two-wire type of electricity that we're used to in our houses. Um, and basically, from what I understand, it's using less wiring to, to, um, to take power from one place to another. Therefore, it's more efficient. Um, and usually, it's used for larger type things, big electrical, induction motors, uh, lots of things like that that you use in a commercial setting. And I was thinking about this idea of phasing. And here's just the thought as we begin. The plan of God is so big the plan of God is so immense that it cannot be reduced to one phase. Um, and what happens, what tends to happen, our understanding, and I, I love that Brother Kurt took us from Genesis to Acts 10 in like 20 minutes today, okay? There's, there's a huge plan of God, but the temptation is to hone in on one phase, sometimes at the expense of especially either the current phase God is in or the next phase he's leading us toward. Um, and so I want to help us tonight, with the Lord's help, obviously in the text before us, to understand how this works, the phasing of God's plan, specifically the phase of grace that we find ourselves in this evening. And so the phasing of God's grace is deeply personal to God. He is invested in it, in ushering in the next phase, and the tendency for us is to go backwards or to dig in our heels when God is moving things Forward. And so Paul here addresses this uh, in this first half of Galatians chapter 4. And I think if we are honest, anyone who reads the Word of God carefully would acknowledge that there are, there are phases of how God related to his people. Of course, as Paul has said, it's always been by grace through faith, but there's what is called dispensations, um, seasons where God worked and related to his people differently. Obviously, when Israel was a theocracy, it was a little different than once David was installed as king, right, and Saul. And so the relationship between God and his people has taken on different phases. We don't have time to go through those this evening, but we see Paul helping us 
be open to what God has phased in through His grace. And so in this section, Paul explains the period of the law in, in that it was a dispensation or a phase of God's uh, revelation and relationship in a very special way, especially with the Jewish people. But may I remind us this evening, God never gave the Mosaic law to the Gentiles. And he's already touched on that repeatedly here, at least in the sense he gave it to the Jewish people. And so Paul here is saying, we have no business imposing Jewish regulations on these Gentile believers in Galatia who are receiving Christ by grace through faith alone. So the question tonight is this, in a day filled with even religious thinking that tends to get stuck in its own way, how do we in contrast get in sync with God's forward-leaning grace? Not compromising, but forward-leaning grace uh, that he reveals to us. So let's talk about tonight in the time we have. Those who live by grace alone identify with two personal phases of grace that have been provided by God himself. And these are connected to uh, himself, to his trinity. So let's talk, first of all, number one, about how God has phased in his grace through his son. And we see that specifically in verse 4. It says, when the fullness of time was, uh, was come, God sent forth his what? His son. So the first phase that brought in God's grace that we need to be open to anew and afresh in our day is the grace that comes to us through the son of God. John 1.17 says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. And so God has given to us his grace through um, his son. Didn't you love that today, how much Jesus was emphasized yeah. by all of our speakers and by even the music that we sang? And so we only have access to the grace of God through um, the Son of God. If Jesus had never come in the flesh, we would still be under the law with all of the, 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 the futility and the weakness of our flesh and, and the endless frustration that that would bring to our hearts and lives. It was only when the Son came that the grace of God could be fully experienced. So let's talk about a couple of areas quickly this evening as it relates to how God's grace was phased in by His Son. Number one, we need to grow. So this would be practically what we do with this phase of grace through God's Son. We need to grow in the Son's maturing grace. So God brought grace through His Son, first of all, with the agenda to mature us, to grow us. And Paul talks about that in the first four verses of um, this chapter. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son to help us come of age where prior and still there would be uh, immaturity. Look at verse 1. Now I say, Paul says at the error. So he's going to use this analogy that would have been familiar in this day. As long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Um, number one, jot this down, God gives to us liberating maturity. In verse 1, he says, prior to grace, we were basically slaves. We were under something. We were in bondage to something. There was no difference between us and the servant. We were slaves under the Mosaic law. And so this spiritual immaturity was, was possessed by those who had yet to be freed from the law by the grace of God. And so he reminds them of the characteristics of an heir to a, an inheritance or a, a place of influence as a minor child. They were kept in uh, under the guardianship, watched over, and trustees would have looked over the estate that was rightfully his. 
Uh, verse 2, he goes on to say, but it is under tutors and governors. And so this idea of being under something, being under someone, this bondage that we would have never been freed of without the grace of God. All right, we'll come back to the end of verse 2 in a moment. Go to verse 3. Even so we, so he now brings this into our lives, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Uh, the tense here of the verb is in the perfect tense, which implies that we were in a, a constant state of servanthood uh, under a legalistic system. We were not free sons of grace, as we're about to talk about, until Christ come, came. And the elements of the world here, the idea would be placed in a row. The language here is the same language of the alphabet. Remember I talked about this last week, I think last time, that the legalists think they're more mature. And actually what they're prioritizing is the entry level, the rudimentary aspects of relationship with God. Mature believers are robust in their understanding of the grace of God. And so the idea here is these are just, this is kindergarten, if you will, uh, of the instruction and the working of God. And these religious observances were only the beginning of what ultimately Christ would usher in. One of the things I've noticed in our lives in a lot of different areas is how nostalgic we can get. Um, do you struggle to throw stuff away that your kid made in like, you know, when he was five or she was five and nobody's ever going to look at it again, but to, to, to throw away some remnant of our family history that some, you know, Ancestry.com at some point is going to want to have access to for, you know, uh, your, your long-distance relations or descendants, it, we just we become so nostalgic. Um, and not only is that true of, of those kind of things, but also we often have a romantic or a nostalgic view of our past as it relates to our relationship with God. Can I just tell you, when you're growing in the grace of God, there's no day better to have relationship with God than the day you're in right now and the one you're headed into tomorrow. Sometimes we go back to, man, when I first got saved, me and God, we were just, it was just fresh and great. That is a sad description if that's the high watermark of your relationship with God and His grace. It ought to be growing and maturing us. And so Paul here is saying, nothing wrong with where you onboarded with God, you Jews, but there's so much more that God's grace offers to us. And so we have to let go of that nostalgia. Whatever the, there's a lot of religious backgrounds even in this room this evening we have to let go of that where God is trying to grow us uh, in his grace moving forward. And so he, he frees us to be able to be more mature uh, in our walk with the Lord. All right, then if you would go back to verse 2, the end of the verse, he says, until the time appointed of the Father. Until the time appointed of the Father. Number two, it is a timely. So it's a liberating maturity. Number two, it is a timely maturity. Um, Ian and I were in Florida this week uh, preaching at Pensacola Christian College. We had a great uh, week, uh, Wednesday through Friday. They got you speaking everywhere. It was just like a blur. We were just all over and got to see some of our kids and other teenagers we know, my boy knows, and enjoyed some time there. But we flew there and flew back, and of course, on the way back, this always happens, one of the scanners uh, went on the fritz, and so they were having to manually check us all into the flight where they had to look at your ticket on your phone, and then you had to show your ID. And this lady was just, just taking her time. And our flight was supposed to leave, I think, like 7.50 or something in the evening on Friday. And it was like 9, 10, and we were like 20 people into onboarding. 
Thankfully, eventually the scanner worked again. I, I'm not kidding you. We would have been there till midnight just getting on the plane. It was taking that long. Um, I saw this picture the other day that maybe just because I just flew, but this cracks me up. So here's the picture. Can you tell what that is? And here was the caption. In my defense, the flight attendant said to familiarize yourself with all the safety features aboard the aircraft. Okay, and so I did that. Uh, timing is everything, right? That's not probably the time for whatever that gentleman did there. Uh, and, and I think often as it relates to timing, if we're not careful, uh, our sense of timing is not in sync with the Lord. I was thinking about this. Just think about this for a moment. One of the greatest signs of maturity is a growing sense of the timing, a sense of timing. When it's appropriate to do this, when it's not appropriate, do you, any of you live with someone who has yet to figure that out? especially our young people, a sense of timing is a, sense, is a, is a signal of maturity. Uh, for the legalist, it's a sign of immaturity because it's out of step with God. It's out of step not just with His grace, but also His timing as it relates to our relationship with His plan. Uh, and so Paul here says, to come of age means to get in sync with God, what He's doing in His time and in His way. And so in verse 2, when he says, until the time appointed of the Father, he's referencing in Roman culture what was often the sign of coming of age for a child. This was set by his father. Um, It it wasn't a set age. It was determined by the father, the patriarch of the family, and it involved a ceremonial donning of a toga that they would put on that, that showed they were now in sonship. They had a standing with the father, a formal acknowledgement of the sonship and heirship of that son. And so he alludes to that in verse 2 that that has happened through the grace of God. Go down to verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. And so now he begins to talk about what God did in a timely fashion to bring about his grace. I don't have time to unpack this at length, but you do know that when Jesus Christ came to earth, it was exactly when the Father wanted it to happen. There are so many things that coalesced in that moment, not just in prophecy. Again, I wish we could study this at length, but it was the perfect moment. Uh, Just look at the genealogies of Mary and and, uh, Joseph. Joseph giving the legal claim and how uh, his side of David's family and then Mary's just, I mean, there's so many things, nuances that all came together, let alone the culture of that day. You have a singular language. Uh, the Greek language. You have Roman roads uh, for the gospel to spread. You have Jews have been preaching a monotheistic religion in synagogues all over the world. And then Jesus shows up. This was the perfect timing. And yet we see the Galatians drifting from that and going back, if you will, from that which is mature and that which is timely. They're digressing away from what God has ushered in. Uh, Notice carefully how Paul words it. He says, it's his son. Notice made of a woman. There we have a reference to his humanity, but also the virgin birth, right? There's no mention of Joseph there. Um, This is God's son. And then notice also made under the law. He was a Jew. He fulfilled the law. He didn't come to destroy it. He came alone, the only one who could, to fulfill the law. And so we see God carefully timing this out. And the mature view of God's grace senses that, yields to that, and lets go of the past that all has been building to this moment. And no matter how we may feel about, quote, it's not time for, 
uh, end quote, for what God is unmistakably doing by His grace, we are fools to ignore its practical implications in our lives. Spiritual grown-ups know that. And whatever we're comfortable with and whatever we're used to and whatever our religious background is, if God is clearly working in His grace in the present tense, the spiritually mature believer is open to what God is doing. And so Paul is calling these believers to that kind of view of the grace of God. No matter how we or others view it, the immature position is always the legalistic one. The mature position is the grace-growing one. Where do you this evening have, a back, have it backwards in your mind and in your heart? And I'm praying God will help us as a church to grow uh, in this area of God's grace. So first of all, we grow in the Son's maturing grace. Go down, if you will, now to verse 5. And we see a second agenda, if you will, of why God phased in His grace through Jesus Christ. Two, notice verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. All right, number two, jot this down there in your notes. Grow in the son's positioning grace. So grow in the son's maturing grace. He sent it to grow us or to mature us. Number two, to give us position. Um, the Groffs are here tonight. Their son Nathan is a student at Pensacola. And uh, Ian, him and me went to watch some other boys from Mansfield that we know from Temple Christian. Their collegiate, um, the Wolverines, was playing uh, the Stingrays, intercollegiate play between students at Pensacola Christian College. And it was first the other team. We were cheering for the Wolverines, the boys that we knew. Um, the other team got up by one, and then we scored a goal kind of halfway through the second uh, half. And it got down, I'm not kidding you, to just a few seconds left in the game. This, uh, I'm sorry, this is in double overtime. We've had two five-minute overtime periods where at the end of that, it's going to go to penalty kicks. I don't know a ton about soccer, so I'm trying to stay in bounds here, okay? Soccer is a little slow for me sometimes, okay? I'll just admit that. Um, but this, I wish it would have been slow after this experience that night. So this is on Thursday night of, of this week. It's late. It's like 1030. It's actually a little cool there in, in the panhandle of, of Florida. And there's like, literally, you can tell, you know, the ref has to call the time because there's variables. The clock is already um, to one minute or whatever. Um, so there's just a few seconds left. There's a huge collision in front of the goal. Uh, where the other team was trying to score. And I'm not kidding you, after the collision, as, it, as everybody kind of peeled away, I was sitting at midfield on a bleacher. I could tell that one player's foot was not in the right position. And I'm not kidding you, the foot was literally, and the cleated foot was almost exactly backwards of the way he was looking. He, had, he tore everything in his ankle. The saddest part was then he had to sit there writhing in pain for 10 minutes. No one could do anything until the ambulance came. Just, just, just wailing. I mean, it, 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 was, it was a very traumatic thing. Been a while since I've seen an injury like that. Just totally destroyed. Bones sticking out, all that goes with that. Fun, fun. Do you know that the position, the position we have of every physical part of our being matters? And the same is true of the church. We are the body of Christ. Nothing causes us to be more disjointed than when we are out of position with God. And so Paul here says, listen, live up to the position I've given you uh, as my body. And he gives us two things as it relates to this. First of all, number one, jot this down as he says at the beginning of verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law. Number one, a redeemed position. Christ came, the Son of God came to deliver the grace of God, this phasing in of God's grace that gives to us a position of redemption. 
And so he gives the first of a twofold purpose uh, in this position. First, to redeem those that were under the law. Uh, This is not a redemption from the curse of the law, as referenced back in chapter 3 and verse 13, but from the slavery to the entire Mosaic system. He's he's freeing them from that, uh, that obligation. Since Christ redeemed and set free those which were under the law, why then should Gentile converts go under that law? You see how he's kind of alluding to that here? So if I freed the Jews who did have an obligation to the law assigned to them by God, and they have been freed from that, they've been redeemed from that, why would Gentile believers place themselves under it? And may I just say tonight, we need to remember how much it cost God to redeem us. It cost him his grace, and his grace was a steep price. It cost him his son, as we're talking about. He delivered on his grace through his son. And so to stay in or to insist upon staying under the position of the law is to disrespect how dearly it cost God to redeem us by his grace. For God to walk into the slave market of humanity under the law, condemned by the law, and to redeem us cost him so dearly. Why would we cheapen it or disrespect it by going back to the law? All right, notice the end of verse 5, a second purpose, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Number two, not only a redeemed position, but an adopted position. So first, God sent his son to redeem those that are under the law. Number two, Christ's incarnation and death secured and resurrection secured for the believer the full rights of sons of God. So now we become sons of God uh, through what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me how um, adoptive laws work, even in our land and in our world, that kind of almost illustrate this. Obviously, our legal system is a bit different than in Paul's day. But I just, just to do my homework, I was reading again about how birth parents, adoptive parents, and then adopted children are able to navigate adoption. And it is actually very difficult to reverse an adoption. From everything that I could read, if the birth parents wish to restore their parental rights, they have to file a petition. Um, if the adoptive parents want to rescind, if the adopted child wants to change the situation. It is a lot of legal wrangling to do. In fact, there are a lot of states in the United States you cannot reverse an adoption. Can I just tell you this evening that our God, this is a permanent thing between us and Him. Why would we go back to the past? Why would we go back to a position of condemnation when we have been adopted into the family of God? And so this adoptive work of God's grace is intended to be irreversible. And so Paul challenges them with these positions they have access to through Christ. Um, and so we, we need to appreciate what God has done for us. We need to stand in that. We need to not turn back to what we can do. Paul calls these believers to honor God by accepting this position given to them. May I say tonight, without a sense of how secure our position is with God through His grace, we will always digress into trying to prop it up with our works. We are, not to live, uh, we are to live not for acceptance, but from a place of acceptance. I'm not saying we become lawless. I'm just saying our position doesn't depend upon how lawful we are. It depends upon the grace of God. It frees us, not for license, but for liberty to actually begin to do what God originally expected of us. And so it, it frees us when we realize this position we have through grace. I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but one of the reasons I love Galatians 4, uh, verse number 4 and 5, is uh, I remember several years ago, 
uh, church I was on staff in Michigan, we did a cantata, and I was, I think, a narrator. Um, we had choir singing. They tended to give me other parts besides singing the choir for uh, good reasons. Um, and so I usually was doing some speaking part or whatever. And I remember walking. I had, my part was this. I walked down stage, and I sat on the edge of the stage in our auditorium. It was a little deeper than this auditorium. Um, and I quoted these two verses, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. And I remember a lady sitting across the center aisle there. She just started getting choked up as I quoted those verses. And at the end of the service, she got saved. It was an awesome moment. Um, she heard the gospel, pastor, but I remember just making eye contact where there's, I quote it, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them under the law. And you could just see the, hey, I can be free of condemnation. I can be free of guilt. Can I tell you what happened in that moment? She saw Jesus. It wasn't my costume. It wasn't how I quoted the verses. She saw the son. And the Son delivered her from the law and gave to her uh, the divine grace that we all have access to. And so only through the grace of God uh, do we have this phase of life we can enter called His grace. Aren't you thankful for the Son? Aren't you thankful we are sons? Uh, So may we not go backwards, may we go forward in uh, the person of Christ. All right, notice the second phase, if you will, of how God phased in His grace that we should never go backward from. Verse 6. And because you are sons of God, I love this transition, God has sent forth his spirit, has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. All right, number two. So the grace of God was phased in by his son. Number two, it is phased in by his spirit. Um, Some of you know uh, Pastor Atkins, Dr. Atkins, as he's known now at Pensacola. He would have been my pastor growing up. Um, he's preached for us in the past. Our church has started out of Mansfield Baptist Temple. He was the pastor at the time when we started North Life. And uh, he'll be preaching for us this next year for our anniversary. But I saw him just this week uh, down in Florida. And he was talking about how his wife now is retired. She was in charge of the library there, um, one of the head honchos of the library, and in bo- uh, taking in resources and processing them. And she, he was talking, we were talking at lunch last time I saw him before I left about how his wife's sense of timing is different than his. Does this relate to anybody? Guys, don't laugh too hard here, okay? You might get yourself in trouble. But he was talking about how his wife will say he's ready to go. He gets in the car and she's still getting ready to go, you know, in this dynamic. And I'm sure guys, that he has issues with her as well that she could share. Um, but it was just funny to hear him talking about that as she's got a check her shoes and then tweak something and then miss, you know, something's not matched right. And she's got to, and then she asked him a question about something. And he said, I thought we were leaving. Um, so I was kind of thinking about that. And somebody sent me this just yesterday. Um, and I was smirking when I read it. My wife said, what are you smirking at? I shared it with her. So I think I'm okay if I share this tonight. Don't tell her I shared this. Okay. Just in case. But here was the thought. When a woman says five minutes, here's for the men. This will help you. Okay. Think like five minutes left in the fourth quarter. You know where this is going? And both teams have all their timeouts left, okay? That's what she means when she says five minutes. Um, Can I just say to you as it relates to the grace of God, that God has given us his grace in a very timely fashion, but also in a very tangible fashion. So what I love about God, the Son comes and gives us the grace of God, but then he brings it to us anew and afresh every day. He makes it something we experience Uh, something that we can interact with on a regular basis. And I love that about the grace of God through the Spirit. 
So let's talk about a couple things as it relates to that. Number one, jot this down, advance in the Spirit's experienced grace. So we move forward in the Spirit's experienced grace. If you can think of it this way, in verse 6, God sent the Spirit, parallels verse 4, where God says He sent the Son. The Son's purpose was to secure for us the legal status of grace. By contrast, the Spirit's purpose is to secure for us the actual experience of grace. So there's position, that's Christ, that's the Son, but now we can practice it, we can live in light of it, we can experience it on a regular basis. And so the Spirit comes to help us experience His grace. All right, what are a couple of things he talks about as it relates to this experience? Number one, it is an intimate experience. It's something that's brought close to us and brings us close to God. We experience intimately with God things that are only possible through grace. See, what the law does is it keeps God at an arm's length. Um, you, You read about the temple and the worship and all that was involved. There was so little access by the average Israelite and especially the Gentile Um, proselyte to God in a direct way. And all of that has been removed. And and we have intimate access, regular access to God in ways that the law could never deliver on. Um, Billy Sunday, a little excerpt, he was talking about legalism. And obviously he preached on drinking and a lot of things like that in his day. Um, But he was talking about how legalism is an artificial thing. And he said this, a painted fire never boiled an egg. A painted fire never boiled an egg. And sometimes the grace of God is that. It's just kind of a, it's a lovely thought. It's, it's, a, it's a portrayed concept. The Spirit wants to take it from that, a two-dimensional abstract thing that maybe excites us or intrigues us and bring it into our lives, bring it into our personal space and warm our hearts and grow us in relation uh, to God. And so the Spirit makes, uh, in a very subjective way, the, the grace of God something that's real to us. And I don't have time to break this down at length, but just notice a few things that jump out of verse 6 of ways that this is intimate between us and God through the grace of God. First of all, number one, notice the Spirit leads us to cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, um, to God. The same God that in the Old Testament, the Masoretic uh, scribes, they would wash themselves every time before they would write the name of God. They would not dare say the name of God. And now we can call God Daddy. Um, there's an access to God. There's a informal aspect of it in still an appropriate way that we have with God that legalism and the law can never offer uh, to us. In fact, the word here has the idea of, of a rending loud cry. It's, it's, a, it's a crying out to God. I think I shared with you our, our Messianic Jew that was our guide in Israel, but hearing his two little boys as we would crawl all over these artifacts from ancient biblical history, and they just kept saying, Abba, 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 come look at this, and is this ancient history, and it was just some random rock, and, but they just kept crying out, these two little boys, Abba, Abba, Abba. We have that uh, because of the grace of God and the Spirit that has brought it uh, to us. What a profound uh, access we have to the Father. All right, notice secondly that it, call, it allows us to call out in our prayer life. So, Um, We can cry to Him, and and the idea here would be our prayer life, just as a child does not prepare its speeches, clear its throat, and and write out a manuscript of what, dear Father, I would like to entreat you on the following five items. A child just, sometimes unfortunately too much so, just spits it out, right? I need this yesterday, I forgot this, and I need you to drop everything and drive 
to here to get something and then bring it to where I am. And a child just expects the parent uh, to deliver. That's the idea. There's that kind of spontaneity. There's that kind of urgency. We can just ask God where we're at. And prayer no longer, therefore, is mechanical and formal. I, one of the things that drives me crazy is when prayer gets reduced to that. The legalist prayer is all about them. It's all about everybody listening to the prayer instead of the Father that they can just cry out to. So grace frees us to have that kind of prayer life with the Lord. Maybe just a thought this evening, could it be our prayer life is less than it should be because it has become legalistic? I got to pray to God every day and I got to hit these things on a list. And, and, and the reason, as I've said to you many times, the reason we're so bored with prayer is because we're saying the same things about the same things to God every day. It's a ritual instead of it's a privilege and it frees us to talk to our God who loves us and longs for that intimate relationship with us. Man, God's grace gives us through His Spirit intimate experience. And then thirdly, this phrase, call out, uh, uh, has the connotation of a sense of God's real presence. We know that He'll hear us. We know that we have access to Him. He's near. Have you ever thought about that, that we can confidently cry to God and He's right there ready to hear? We don't have to offer up some sacrifice or generate some you know, like Elijah did with the prophets, you know, you got to jump on an altar to try to get your God's attention. The moment you pray, his ear is listening. Um, That's as we pray in the spirit. Um, And so this spirit gives to us immediate near proximity to the God to which we pray. Um, And then as we mentioned, this Abba idea, this baby talk word, something we can come to God with all because of the grace of God. May I say tonight, if this is not the profile of your faith, what is described here in verse 6, then you are not headed towards, but away from God. You may think you're being religious and you're praying these prayers and you're going through all this, these formalities, but you're not going toward God. You're going away from what His grace intends. And so may God help us to lean into uh, what the Spirit affords us. Um, pastor friend of mine said this as it relates to false guilt. I don't know if you've ever had a feeling of false guilt often imposed on you on a, by another, or maybe the voices in your own heart and head. This pastor said this, I think it's good. False guilt um, even led me to do good, but it never led me to God. And I think a lot of times we, we well, I did good, yeah, but did you get closer to God as a result of that religious thinking? Um, legalism often, yes, causes us to maybe do a little more good, but it pushes us away from God instead of closer to Him as the Spirit is trying to bring us. And so grace, listen to me, grace when fleshed out will always bring us closer to God. And whatever you think grace is that it isn't, that's pushing you away from God, it is not uh, the grace that God intended. All right, verse 7. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Number two, so the Spirit gives us intimate experience with God. Number two, it gives us inheriting. We inherit some things in our experience with God through the grace and through the Spirit that God has given. We inherit. Did you see that in verse 7? You're no more a servant but a son. So you're not a servant, you are a son, and if you are a son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. And so we see this, uh, this emphasis upon no longer slaves but sons and errors. And you notice in verse number seven that the words are plural. Replace the, the singular here back in verse six. Did you see that? Um, so you see the idea of um, 
I'm sorry, the plural in verse 6 and then the singular in verse 7, thou art no more a servant but a son. And what Paul's doing is he's saying, here's the general concept for all believers. And then he says, now you, you're a son. You're, a, you're an heir, not just in general, in a generic sense, but you yourself have access to all that God has promised. And so the application is you are one who inherits. I am one who inherits uh, as God's spirit is everything he should be. This concept of inheritance indicates a forward-leaning mindset by God who longs for the same forward-leaning mindset by his children. The legalist is always looking backwards or always looking only at the present tense. The the grace-filled believer is moving forward, is in step with a God who is always leaning forward. Building on the past, yes, but always leaning forward. Um, And and I'm just, just by word of testimony, I asked Pastor Nathan to make sure I had the number right. We had almost 200 people in our building today. Um, and, and not just the numbers, but new people we're meeting. And, and God's just working in so many ways and outside of our church. And um, it's just a thrill to see that. But that growth where we're experiencing, I trust, is because of the grace of God. Not because we're trying to tell people what to do or not do. Um, it's the grace of God. God's grace grows. God's grace moves us forward. Are you a part of that in your own personal walk uh, with the Lord? So maybe we'd be willing to analyze and address the issues of everyday life by remembering God's fatherly love. We need to learn to ask moment by moment for his grace and his power to be evidenced. And maybe this question before we move to our last subpoint this evening, here's the question. Am I acting like a slave who is afraid of God or like a child who is assured of my father's ever-expanding love for me? Which is it for you tonight? Are you shoulders bent, I'm, I'm under the law, I'm under all these obligations, or it is, God is my daddy, God is my father, I want to please him, I want to serve him, but it's in that intimate way that his spirit uh, causes me to experience. Nothing is more discouraging than to have the grace of God and never experience all that it offers to us, all that it offers us specifically in our relationship with the Father. All right, lastly, look, if you will, at the last couple of verses, beginning in verse 8. He says, How be it then, when you knew not God, you did, ser- you did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. Number two, so we advance in the Spirit's experience grace. And so that's warm and fuzzy. Amen, Pastor. Thank you for that. I can be close to God and call him Abba Father. But here's the second challenge of the Spirit, the second aspect. We advance to the, through the Spirit's confrontational grace. I love how Paul always, and especially under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously there's that, it's a tension. God loves us. He's our Father. He's Abba. But notice now the Spirit confronts these believers in areas where they are straying. Um, I was at a golf tournament watching Ian play a few months ago. I think actually Moses was there as well watching it. And we had, we got maybe three or four holes in, and we'd seen the forecast it was going to rain. This was up Akron area. And so we had to sprint to this kind of a shelter place um, till the rain went by. And thankfully, we were semi-close. But I mean, there were people came in just drenched rat look, you know. Um, and I was glad that wasn't me and it was them, if I'm totally honest with you. But one of the things that was funny was getting just unexpectedly, hopefully this was the teenagers and not the adults in this shelter, but a bunch of high school boys in a confined space and the smell of that place, Okay. And it was hilarious because nobody said anything, but all the parents are looking at each other like, okay, is it your kid, you know, who didn't 
teach their child basic hygiene, but it was just all of a sudden, and some of it might have been the dampness and all that goes with it, but man, there was, it was just, it was a blessing when the rain let up, okay? We could get out of there. Um, can I just say to you this evening that the grace of God, and specifically the Spirit of God, here's one of the gifts of the grace of God. It won't let us stay where we're at. Um, what legalism does, what the law does, is it just basically shows us and then drops us. It, it confronts us, it's, as we talked about back in chapter 3. It is a schoolmaster but what the Spirit does is lovingly comes and confronts and then changes us uh, as we yield to its work uh, in our lives. And so although our legalistic tendencies are prone to believe otherwise, the law of God is a means of salvation. Here's why legalists don't like grace, because it makes them nervous that we're all just going to go crazy in our flesh. Doesn't this counter that? Here you have Paul defending the grace of God, and then he confronts where they've wandered from it. The Spirit of grace um, in a legal sense of all of this between us and God are at odds with each other. And so the Spirit is always going to confront those tendencies in us. That's how we grow. And hopefully through this series, that uh, is happening in you as it is in me. All right, notice two things he confronts as we finish. Number one, digression is confronted. Digression confronted. In verse 8, he says, Before their conversion, the Galatians, as we just read, had been heathens who worshipped the idols of wood, the idols of stone, false gods, right? They, they had worshipped those. Now they were turning to another kind of bondage, which was bondage to the law. Just as idolatry, um, worshipping a false god brought bondage, now they are bringing themselves into new bondage as they submit themselves to the law. Verse 9, he asked this question, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements almost can hear the sneer in Paul's voice, weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. So Paul says you've come to know God, or at least God, has, God knows you, and why would you turn from that, all that he promises you, back to these weak and beggarly elements? He's just said you've inherited, you're heir of all these things, but now you're going back to these weak and beggarly things, you're impoverishing yourself, by going back to the law. Now, we've said this before, but God's law had a purpose, right? It was, as, as Ecclesiastes says, everything is beautiful in its time or appropriate in its time. The law had a purpose, but now it's time to move forward from these weaker and beggarly hindrances and to, and to be uh, in tune with the Lord. And so he challenges them to not substitute the law for what rightfully should be the Lord Jesus Christ. May I say to you tonight is not only willful and unnecessary poverty, but it is also idolatry to turn from Christ to the law. What scares me the most about the legalist is they worship the law. They want man worship for how they align with it, and it also justifies them judging and dismissing and looking down upon others. It makes it about the worship of everything and everyone except the one true God. And that can even creep into our churches, right? Into this church. The glory of God is at stake. Legalism ultimately is idolatry of self. Um, and so we need to distance ourselves from it. We need to let the Spirit confront us where that digression has occurred. I was reading the other day a story about P.T. Barnum, um, who was a very serious man. And no, I'm just kidding. He was a bit of an entertainer to say the least. Um, he opened his American Museum on January 1st, 1842, uh, became quickly one of the most popular attractions in the world, this American museum. In fact, over the next 15 years, Barnum sold 38 million tickets 
which represented more than the entire population of the United States in his day, 38 million tickets. Um, the museum was open 15 hours a day. Thousands crowded it every day. They saw spectacles, exhibits from all over the world. Some of them were fakes, like the mermaid, in case you still think the mermaid exists, um, while others were real oddities that people had never seen before. So one of the things that happened is Barnum, his, his museum was so overrun, people that it would get crowded and he couldn't get people out of the museum. And so here was his solution. Um, they paid 25 cents to get in. They didn't want to leave. They were reluctant to do so. So Barnum crafted a large, large sign which said, this way to the egress, E-G-R-E-S-S, posted it by a door leading out to the alley. Eager to see this exciting new thing called an egress, people would walk through the door only to find themselves back on the street outside the museum. Look at the egress. You know how often we buy that as it relates to the grace of God? We are literally, brethren, we are in the sweet spot of everything God has given to us. And then we see some new thing. It doesn't say egress because we're too smart for that. But it's some tweak on the gospel. It's some tweak of additives or subtractives from the gospel that allures us to digress from the grace of God. And I just want to say tonight, I want nothing to do with that, with God's help. I want to stay where his grace is experienced. I want to stay in the center of his will. And so the spirit alone can help us where we begin to digress. And that happens incrementally, doesn't it? We just, somebody new on YouTube or some pastor that just tweaks one little thing and says something novel we've never heard before. And we begin to be wooed away, maybe out of reaction to some extreme, wooed away, digressing away from the grace of God. We have got to be filled with the spirit. We've got to be in tune with the Spirit because all of us can be moved from the grace of God without His constant confrontation uh, in our lives. All right, verse 10 and 11, he goes on to talk about specifically their struggles. You observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, he says, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Lastly, jot this down, wastefulness confronted. The idea here is that Everything Paul's invested in them, everything Paul has taught them will be wasted if they turn away from the gospel. And here he talks about some of the things they're doing, they're observing special days and months and times and years. If we couple that with the fact they're struggling with legalism, it probably means they were beginning to observe the Jewish calendar, the feast, the holy days, and abstaining from other days and, and beginning to move into that mindset showing the partial success of the legalist that Paul is trying to call them back from under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's fascinating to me how many people want just a little bit of religion, just enough to feel good. And they pick out a day or they pick out some feast or some dietary restriction and it makes them feel religious. It makes them feel substantial uh, in the eyes of God and in man. We must fight that in our lives through the help of the Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. We're not amazed at what we do and don't do. We're not amazed at what someone else does or doesn't do. We're just amazed that God gave us his grace. That's what we amaze ourselves over. Uh, and so we see Paul calling them back to that. Uh, and in verse 11, I, it's a hard verse, but he says to them bluntly, I'm afraid of you. Um, that, that's a tough phrase for the Galatians to hear and for us to hear, where maybe we've wandered into this this evening. Why is he afraid? Lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. 
Paul had worked hard and he's concerned that his labor would be uh, of no lasting value or significance if the Galatians simply exchanged their pagan religion for the old legalism of the Jews. It would have been a waste for him to travel there and to teach there and to work with those folks. And so he confronts them. He shares his fears and concerns. One author said this in relation to this idea of digressing toward an alternative religion instead of relationship with God. He said this, if anything, the idolatry and slavery of religion is more dangerous than the idolatry and slavery of irreligion because it's less obvious. The irreligious person knows he's far away from God, but the religious person does not. This new kind of slavery to, quote, non-gods, end quote, would be worse for these Galatians than the old gods they served. They would not know they were far away from the Father. And so our religiosity actually is more dangerous than irreligion. And so we need to fight that tendency as the Spirit confronts us. Kind of to bring this to application tonight, I don't know if you, have you heard of the, this expression in psychology or in our mindset, the Stockholm Syndrome. Have you heard of this expression? Um, here's just kind of a little backstory if you're not familiar with it. Stockholm Syndrome is a psychological response to being held captive. And typically what happens with someone who is in that state of mind, they form a psychological or emotional connection with their captor. So it could be, for example, the girls in Cleveland that were found in the basement years ago struggled with this. I remember seeing some of the interviews where they felt affection for the man who kept them locked in their basement for years. And we could go into all kinds of examples of this, um, where they feel personal feelings that really help them cope with how they've been mistreated. It's a coping mechanism that seems to stick with a person who's been traumatized or mistreated. But the original term of Stockholm comes from a 1973 bank robbery that happened in Stockholm, Sweden, During that six-day standoff with police, many of the captive bank employees became sympathetic toward the bank robbers. After they were set free, some of the bank employees, the same that had been gagged and tied and mistreated during those, uh, those six days, refused to testify against the bank robbers in court, and even some of them paid for their defense. How could a person do that, or a battered wife? And I mean, we've all seen where someone is is bound to something that actually is harmful to them, and they they can't shake loose of that. Can I say to you tonight, when we refuse to move forward into the phase of God's grace in our own lives, we are just as illogical, we're just as foolish in holding on to that which keeps us in bondage, even the law that originally God gave to us. And instead of moving forward to the pinnacle of what He wants us to experience and steward for Him, we go backwards where he's moving forward. I want you to think about this before we pray. What legalism does is it makes us all about us. And here's what has not, I've never thought about this before. If God brought in his grace through his son and his spirit, then when we make it about us, we put ourselves where the son of God and the spirit of God should occupy. We are supplanting in our lives, in our areas of influence, we're making it about us where it should be about the Son of God and the Spirit of God. That's why it matters that we believe in grace plus nothing. Because when it's plus nothing, the presence of the Son and the Spirit will be evident in this church, in your family, in your influence. God will work. But we've made, if we're not careful, it too much about us and about others, and the Son and the Spirit are not powerfully and palpably evident in our lives and in our influence. 
Why aren't we seeing people saved? Why aren't we having folks visit as many as we had this morning on a regular basis that are seeking and hurting and processing? There were several here today. Could it be because when they bump into us, they just bump into us? Because we don't absorb and process the grace of God as we should. And because we're not up to speed with the phase God is in, the person of the Son, the person of the Spirit is not sensed in us. So this question, and we'll pray, will you choose to live in grace plus nothing by appreciating fully what has been phased in by the Son of God and by the Spirit of God himself? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word.